You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Let's now examine the actual pledge. We know women participated as we said, but why did the Prophet call on this pledge? And let's examine some hadiths and verses about this pledge. So the Prophet in Hudaybiyah, he calls on his companions to pledge him allegiance. Now he's in, in an area called Hudaybiyah and the Prophet was in a place in Hudaybiyah that belonged to Bani Mazin ibn Najjar. They had a place in Hudaybiyah, Bani Mazin ibn Najjar, and there was a green tree over there. The Prophet sits under that tree and he says to his companions, Allah has commanded me to seek the bay'ah and the allegiance from you. Some companions were taking a nap when they heard this call, that someone was calling on behalf of Rasulullah Oh people, the Prophet is calling you to pledge allegiance. Nazala ruhul quds the pure spirit of Allah has commanded the Prophet to seek the allegiance from you. فَخْرُجُوا عَلَىٰ إِسْمِ So go, go to the Prophet by the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now when they gave the Prophet the bay'ah, what, what was the condition of the bay'ah? Some companions reported that the Prophet took their allegiance on this, to be willing to die for Allah and His Prophet. So give me the allegiance that you're willing to die for Allah and for His Prophet. Other companions disagree. They said no. He didn't seek allegiance from them to die, but not to flee and abandon him. He made an allegiance, don't leave me and don't abandon me no matter what happens with Quraysh. In any case, we have these two reports. How many attended this allegiance? We have different historical reports. Bukhari in one report says 1,500. In other reports, we have 1,300. Other reports indicate 1,400. Somewhere between 1,300 and 1,500. Now why do I cite Bukhari? You'll see why soon. Because it's important when we have this conversation with other schools of thought to say that there were many companions who attended this pledge. So Bukhari says 1500, okay let's go by that number. Now when the Quraysh saw how fast Muslims gave the Prophet the bay'ah, they really got scared. They took Muslims more seriously. When the bay'ah was being conducted, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals a verse in the Holy Quran. Verse 18 of Surah Al-Fatih. لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ Allah has been pleased with the mu'mineen, the believers, while they were giving you bay'ah, allegiance under the tree. Allah knew the goodness in their hearts. Allah brought down tranquility on them. So this is the verse in Surah Al-Fatih that directly talks about this very important pledge. We also have hadiths 
that other schools of thought have narrated about the virtues of the companions who pledged allegiance. I'll share with you some of these hadiths. In Bukhari and Muslim, there's a hadith attributed to Jabir ibn Abdullah al-Ansari, one of the companions of the Prophet. And Jabir, according to this hadith in Bukhari, he says the Prophet said to us the companions, and we were a thousand four hundred. The Prophet said to us, Antum khayru ahl al-ard. He said to the companions present at this allegiance, you are the best people on earth. Musnad Ahmad and Tirmidhi, they narrate, they narrate another hadith from Umm Bashir. This lady, according to this hadith, says the Prophet said, on the day of the bay'ah, la yadkhulu nara ahadun bay'ah tahta shajara. No person who gave the bay'ah under the tree will go to hell. Ahl-Sunnah have used these hadiths and also this verse that we recited to indicate that all companions are virtuous. Even those who may slip, who may have had mistakes, Allah was pleased with them. Khalas. Who are you to you know, judge them and criticize them? When Allah says, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجْرَةِ Allah has been pleased with them. And that's why they say to every companion, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْ May Allah be pleased with them. It's taken from this verse. And they say, we have these hadiths, that these companions were the best people on earth. And the Prophet said, none of them will go to hell. This is one of the building blocks of the Sunni Aqeedah in the companions. That they're righteous, they're just, Allah's pleased with them, we have to respect all of them. Now let's mention our observations. Number one, historical reports indicate all of the companions present there in Hudaybiyah gave bay'ah, except for one person. Al-Jid or Al-Jad ibn Qais al-Ansari. He's the only one who didn't give the bay'ah. He retreated. Now, I will use a Sunni source to prove this. Why? This is important for our observation. Sahih Muslim narrates from Jabir. Jabir says, Bay'ana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi. Jabir says, we pledged allegiance to the Prophet and Umar was holding his hand under the tree. فَبَايَعْنَاهُ We all gave him bay'ah غَيْرَ الْجَدْ إِبْنْ قَيْسَ الْأَنْصَارِ Except for who? This man, Jad ibn Qais al-Ansari اِخْتَفَى تَحْتَ بَطْنِ بَعِيرِهِ He went hiding under the stomach of his camel. Okay. Why is this significant? Muslim, Sahih Muslim admits everyone gave bay'ah on that day except this guy. Exclude him. Everyone else who was present gave bay'ah. This means that the munafiqeen and the hypocrites were there and they gave bay'ah. They're not excluded. Because he is saying that everyone gave bay'ah except this guy, put him to the side. Others who were present, they all gave bay'ah. Well, who from the well-known munafiqeen that Sunnis even agree was a munafiq, was there at Hudaybiyah? Abdullah ibn Ubay. Ibn Salul, also known as Ibn Salul. Abdullah ibn Ubay and his men from the hypocrites, they were present at Hudaybiyah. Remember how earlier we talked about in previous classes that he claimed he saw a miracle uh, at the well and the Prophet told him, 
you know, where have you seen this? And he apologized. He was there. He was in Hudaybiyah. And Quraysh had sent a message to Abdullah ibn Ubay that if he wanted to do the tawaf around the Kaaba, he could. Because they knew he was a hypocrite. They knew he was not a believer in the Prophet So now we have a dilemma. What's the dilemma? If we say that the verse states Allah was pleased with all those who attended, all those who gave bay'ah. So was Allah pleased with Abdullah bin Ubay or no? If you say yes, that means Allah is pleased with who? A munafiq. But Allah says the munafiqeen Allah in the same Quran says the munafiqeen are in hell. And he curses the munafiqeen. So is Allah pleased with Abdullah ibn Ubay or no? If you say he's pleased with him, that means Allah is pleased with a munafiq. And that brings a contradiction in the Quran. Because the Quran curses the munafiqeen. And he died as a hypocrite. How can Allah be pleased with a hypocrite when Allah says they're in hell? If you say no, Allah wasn't pleased with him, he's an exception because he's a munafiq. We say okay, if you make one exception, we can make other exceptions too. As long as you make one single exception, you say well he was a munafiq. I will say well I did my research and there were other munafiqs there. So I'll make that exception as well. So why do you attack us and consider us heretics? If we say some companions were hypocrites and you say, no, Allah was pleased with them. Why are you critical of them? And then what do we do with the hadiths that state none of those who gave allegiance go to hell? Right? Like the hadith that Musnad Ahmad and Tirmidhi claimed, the Prophet said. So what about Abdullah ibn Ubay? Is he going to hell or no? The Prophet says, anyone who gave bay'ah is not going to hell. So what about Abdullah ibn Ubay? Is he going to hell or no? See, we can't accept these hadiths that none of those who gave the bay'ah are going to hell. That's because these hadiths contradict the Qur'an. The Qur'an is very clear that the, mushrik, the uh, munafiqeen, the hypocrites, will be in the lowest pit of hell. And by the way, most Sunnis do accept that Abdullah ibn Ubay was there. And he was a known hypocrite. So this is one argument. And remember, if someone tells you, okay, make an exception for Abdullah ibn Ubay, okay, you tell him, okay, if you make one exception, then you have to accept the fact that I can make other exceptions. By the way, this hadith that those who did the bay'ah will not go to hell is disputed by some Sunni scholars. You know who disputes this hadith? The teacher of Bukhari. The teacher of Bukhari, his name is Ibn al-Madini. Ibn al-Madini, the teacher of Bukhari, Sahih al-Bukhari, right? Muhammad ibn Ismail bukhari he had a teacher by the name of Ibn al-Madini, Sunni, not Shia. He refutes this hadith, that no, none of them are going to go to hell. He rejects that hadith. He doesn't accept it. And in fact, he had a huge argument with Ahmad ibn Hanbal over this. They almost fought Ibn al-Madini and Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Ahmad ibn Hanbal says, it's, this is, I accept this hadith. Ibn al-Madini says, no, this is a false hadith. It's not possible that the Prophet said that. So there are even some Sunni scholars who've dismissed these hadiths. So the hadith contradicts the Quran because Abdullah ibn Ubay was there. And there are some Sunni scholars who don't accept it. What about the hadith that you are the best of the people of the earth? It also can't include the hypocrites. What, the hypocrites are the best people on earth now? It cannot include the hypocrites. It can only include the believers. 
By the way, look at this very funny claim, very ludicrous, interesting claim. Halabi, he says, some scholars have concluded from this hadith, Antum khayru ahlil ard, you are the best people on earth, that the khidr was dead, he wasn't alive. Because if he was alive at the time, how could the Prophet say that you're the best people on earth when you have another Prophet who's not included? So we must conclude that the khidr must have died. <laughs> Look at what kind of <laughs> you know, arguments these people make. It's, it's really, you know, Weird to make an argument, argument like that. And we, need, we don't need to bother to even refute that statement. So we have Abdullah ibn Ubay, who was present at Hudaybiyah, and he was a known hypocrite. Anyone else who went to hell, according to the hadith of the Prophet, who was also there, yes. Abu al-Ghadiyah al-Juhani. Who remembers who's Abu al-Ghadiyah? Abu al-Ghadiyah al-Juhani is the one who killed Ammar ibn Yasir at Safin. He attended the pledge of Ridwan. And you know what the Prophet said about this man, Abu al-Ghadiyah? Ahmed ibn Hanbal narrates it. Al-Hakim al-Naysaburi, also another Sunni scholar, he narrates this. You know what the Prophet said? Qatulu Ammar wa salibuhu finnar. The one who kills Ammar. And the one who loots his clothes after he's killed is, or his armor, is in hell. So the Prophet is saying the killer of Ammar is in hell. Who killed Ammar? Abu al-Ghadiyah al-Juhani. So Abu al-Ghadiyah al-Juhani, according to the hadith of the Prophet in Sunni sources, what's his destiny? Hell, according to the hadith of the Prophet. Abu al-Ghadiyah was present at the Bay'ah of Ridwan. So was Allah pleased with him if he's going to hell? That, how is that possible? That's a contradiction here. What's going on here? By the way, look at the deception of some of these scholars. It's really chilling. He said, Ibn Hazm, one of the Sunni scholars, listen to what he says. He says, Abu Al-Adiyya Yasar ibn Sama' Sabi' As-Salami. He says this guy, Abu Al-Adiyya, or Abu Al-Ghadiyya is the correct pronunciation. He's the one who killed him. Then he admits, Shahida Bay'at al-Ridwan. But this killer of Ammar, he attended the Bay'at of Ridwan. Fahuwa mimman shahida Allahu lahu bi'annahu alima ma fi qalbihi wa anzala sakilata alayhi wa radhiya an. He says, but because he attended the bay'ah of Ridwan, Allah is pleased with him. He says, this man, Abu al-Ghadiyah, who killed Ammar, he made a mistake, but Allah is pleased with him because he attended the bay'ah of Ridwan. So I can't curse him. He admits that he killed Ammar and he admits that he was there at the shajara, but he's like, he made a mistake, it's okay, Allah will forgive him. And you know what Ibn Taymiyyah says? We should call him Shaykh al-Islam. Ibn Taymiyyah, he says that, وَالَّذِي قَتَلَ عَمَّارُ بْنُ يَاسِرُ هُوَ أَبُوا الْغَادِيَةِ He confirms, he admits that the one who killed Ammar ibn Yasir is this man, Abu al-Ghadiyah. He says, وَقَدْ قِيلَ أَنَّهُ مِنْ أَهْلِ بَيْعَةِ رِضْوَانِ It's been said, 
that he attended the bay'ah of Ridwan. See, he doesn't want to openly admit it because he's going to be stuck if he admits it. It's been said. Ibn Hazm. You know, one of the Sunni scholars, Ibn Hazm, has confirmed that. He says, listen, listen to what Ibn Taymiyyah says. فَنَحْنُ نَشْهَدُ لَعَمَّارِ بِالْجَنَّةِ Ammar, companion of the Prophet, he's going to heaven, no doubt. وَلِقَاتِلِهِ إِنْ كَانَ مِنْ أَهْلِ بَيْعَةِ رِضْوَانِ بِالْجَنَّةِ And he says, if Abu al-Ghadiya was really there at the Bay'ah of Ridwan, then I also bear witness that he went to heaven. So the killer and the killed are both in heaven, Allah. Bravo for such a religion, where you put the murderer and the murdered both in heaven. You see, see the, 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 the kind of belief system they created for themselves? By the way, today if you have a dialogue with modern Salafis, right, the, some of those extremist ones, they won't admit that Abdullah ibn Ubay attended the pledge. Like, no, 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 we don't have any Sahih Hadith and they'll try to beat around the bush. And they say that the one who narrates um, that Abdullah ibn Ubay was at Hudaybiyah is Al-Waqidi and he's weak, weak. We don't accept Al-Waqidi. Even though Ibn Kathir or Ibn Kuthayr, who is the student of Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Kuthayr or Ibn Kathir was an extremist, just like his teacher Ibn Taymiyyah. He says, Al-Waqidi عندهu زيادات حسنة وتاريخ محرر غالبا فإنه من أئمتي هذا الشأن الكبار وهو صدوق في نفسه مكثار. See, when they want to praise him for things that he said they like, they'll praise him. He says he was truthful, he, he, he was a master in this field, he praises him. But then modern Salafis today, when they want to dismiss the fact that Abdullah ibn Ubay attended Bay'at al-Ridwan, they're like, well, not Waqidi narrated that. No, 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 we don't like Waqidi, he was weak, he was weak, he was a liar. You see how they play? Now let's then analyze the verse. In the end, my dear brothers and sisters, know one thing, Allah tests the believers. Allah tries the believers. Don't think the test is easy. It's not clear cut. There is a verse in the Quran. It's a strong verse. We admit, it's a powerful verse. Allah has been pleased with the mu'mineen who gave you bay'ah. And we know that many of those companions were there. Abu Bakr was there, Umar was there, many of those other companions, the killer of Ammar was there. What do we do? It's a trial. You have to understand that Allah tests us. How many of you are familiar with the trial of the people of Prophet Nuh Do you know why after 950 years there were only 80 or 81 who believed in him? Can you imagine a prophet from God who has all the akhlaq and the knowledge and he preaches with in a beautiful way for 950 years. Sometimes you see a charismatic leader, scholar, he can guide thousands in just a few years. Tayyib Nuh with all those powers, 950 years, only 80? You know what the test was? The test was, I'll make it very short, according to multiple hadiths. He told the believers initially, Huge groups of people believed in Nuh initially. Many people believed in him. But Allah wants to shake you and purify your iman. Don't just claim falsely, I believe, I believe. Allah says, I'll squeeze you to see if you're really a mu'min and you'll stay as a believer. Tamhis, you know how you, the Quran uses the word tamhis where you take gold that's 
mixed with other elements and you burn it and burn it and burn it until you melt it and you separate it. Allah says, that's what I do to a mu'min. I'll, I'll melt him in this dunya. But Allah says, I'm polishing him. I'm purifying the mu'min. So you know what he said to, his, to, the, the, to the believers? He told them, plant a tree, palm trees. When the palm tree becomes a full mature tree and it gives you dates, Allah will send the adab and the flood on the evil ones. How long does it take for a palm tree to grow and give you dates? 10 to 15 to 20 years, let's say 15 years. Yeah, it takes time for the palm tree to mature and give you proper dates. So they eagerly waited 15 years. They passed by that tree, this is the promise of Allah. 15 years came, what happened? No, there were dates, what happened? No flood, no flood. They came to Nuh, Nuh, you're a truthful prophet. Where's the flood? He said Allah extended it. See, Allah doesn't have to show you all of His plan. He shows you the tentative plan, but the finalized one with extensions, He doesn't show it to you because He wants to test you. You claim you're believers, yalla, let's see. He said, Allah has extended it. Plant another tree. When it's mature, the flood will come. Now, his group split in half. Like, whoa, whoa, this guy, you know, we can't trust him anymore or whatever. Those who had a weak faith, they left. They turned disbelievers. So his group became a smaller. 15 years came. What happened? No flood. The group became smaller. One hadith says this happened seven, eight times. Over a hundred years, Allah keeps extending it, extending it until you had only 80. Those 80, they were so pure. They said if this continues for trillions of years, basically, we'll stand with Nuh because we know he's on the haq. Anything he says, we know he's on the haq. We've intellectually come to know that Allah exists and he's the prophet. So if Allah extends the plan, no problem. And that's exactly how Allah tested the Bani Israel. When Musa told them, I'm going for 30 days to receive the Torah. What does Allah say? Musa We told Musa, go for 30. When Musa went there, Allah says, I've extended it another 10. Allah wants to shake the Bani Israel to test them. The first 30 days they were behaving. Because Musa is going to come. We don't want to mess with Musa. 30 days ended, Musa didn't show up. Ah, he probably died or he lied. In those 10 days, they worshipped the golden calf. They went to Kufr in 10 days. The trial is not easy, my dear brothers and sisters. There are some Muslims, they don't get this. They don't understand this point. No, no, no. If, if you're on the haq, let me see a clear verse. Habibi, that's not how the system works. You have to work for the system. You have to use your intellect. You have to see the truth. Allah doesn't give you the truth like that on a golden platter, ready. You have to earn it. Muslims don't get this. No, 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 Allah says in the Quran, read the verse and contemplate it. We admit there's a strong, powerful verse, but let's analyze it. So how do we understand Verse 18 of Surah Al-Fatih. This is really critical. My dear brothers and sisters, please memorize these arguments. I guarantee you, if you ever have a conversation about the companions with other Muslims, other schools of thought, this will come up. 
So know the arguments. Number one, Allah starts the verse by saying, لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ Allah has been pleased. Anil with who? Mu'mineen, the believers. Did Allah say the companions? No. Allah says, He was pleased with the believers. That's key. It didn't say all the companions. It said those who were believers among them, and we accept that. Now you have to prove that a companion was a mu'min for him to be included in this rida and satisfaction. The burden's on you to prove that. Especially when we know there were some hypocrites amongst them. So the verse does not include hypocrites or anyone who is not a believer. It only includes who? The mu'min. That's key. They deliberately ignore this point. Deliberately they ignore this point. Now that's number one. Number two. This satisfaction of Allah is temporal, not absolute. What do we mean by that? It means in that moment, pledging allegiance to the Prophet, in the face of those mushrikeen, was a good deed. That earns a reward from Allah. Allah is pleased with that act of pledging allegiance with the Prophet. But it doesn't mean this rida of God, this satisfaction will continue into the future, guaranteed. Proof? Surah Al-Fatih, same surah, go back eight verses. This is verse 18, go back eight verses. Verse, verse 10, Allah states, Those who give you bay'ah, in reality they're pledging allegiance with God. They're making an oath with Allah. Because you, Ya Rasulullah, you represent God. The hand of Allah is above their hands, symbolically speaking. Here. This verse in Surah Al-Fat that's talking about the bay'ah of the shajara, it's giving us two scenarios. It says, those who gave you allegiance, in reality, they were giving allegiance to Allah. They were making a promise with Allah to protect deen. The Quran says, those فَمَنَّكَثَ The one who's going to break the allegiance. He will deal with the consequences. He will deal with the consequences. But the one who keeps his oath with Allah, but if you stick to your allegiance, Allah will give you a great reward. Question over here, my dear brothers and sisters. If those who gave bay'ah, it's guaranteed that Allah was pleased with them and He's going to be pleased with them into the future, why does the Qur'an give the possibility of them breaking the allegiance? This should not even be a possibility. Because khalas, Allah radiya, Allah has been pleased with them. Doesn't matter what they're gonna do. The Quran says, no, you did a bay'ah. If you break it, you will deal with the consequences. It's a punish, a threat to them. But if you stay true to it, Allah will give you a reward. That means the Quran in itself is hinting some of them will break the allegiance. So the question is to other Muslims, those who did break the allegiance, is Allah still pleased with them? If the pleasure of Allah was permanent, if it was given to them on a permanent basis, then it makes no sense to threaten them. Why are you threatening them with breaking the pledge if 
It's permanent. Khalas, I'm pleased with you. If Allah gives you a guarantee right now, imagine Allah communicates to you and says, I'm pleased with you till the day of judgment, no matter what. What does that mean? That means you must be infallible. Right? What if you become a kafir? What if you say, oh Allah, okay, now that you're pleased with me, let me go and worship idols and kill and do whatever I want in this dunya. Allah still pleased with you? What kind of a Lord is that? He would say it to the correct people. But the question is, some of these companions, they did disturbing things later. Some of them killed each other. Some of them died as a hypocrites. What do you do with those people? Exactly. So Allah would not give you permanent rida to anyone. He would only give it to the one that he knows will stay as a mu'min. So this is evidence that the satisfaction that Allah gave wasn't to every companion. Only the one who stayed true to the allegiance. They received the satisfaction and the pleasure of God. Not those who broke the allegiance. That's key over here. Number three, as we have examined before in the verse of the cave, maybe year one of our biography class at the end of year one, the sakina comes down on the believers in the Quran. Because Allah in verse 18 of Surah Al-Fatih, what does He say? That Allah has been pleased with them and He brought down the sakina, the tranquility and the peace in their hearts. We know from the Quran that whenever the Quran mentions the word sakina, coming down, it comes only on the mu'mineen, not anyone, not the munafiqeen. And this is proof that Allah was only pleased, not with everyone, only the mu'mineen. Because the sakina comes on the believers. And by the way, when we examine the verse of the cave, what did we mention? That Allah brought down the sakina only on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa not his companion. So you can make your own judgment over here. If the Sakina didn't come to him in the cave when he was with the Prophet and they were leaving Mecca, I don't think it's going to come here. If it's going to come anywhere, it should have came in the cave. My dear brothers and sisters, what questions do you have about this verse? Do you see our response to it? Or you still have some doubts about it or some confusing points? Because I will tell you, this is one of the most cited verses in Islam to try to prove that all companions are righteous and that they went to heaven. So having, after having this discussion, how do you feel about this verse? Alaykum as salam wa rahmatullah. I have a question uh, for you, inshallah, Sayyid. Yes, I brother. Just, I'm struggling with this so much because all these contradictions that we're talking about, I struggle so much because what do their scholars say to one another about these contradictions and some people and the way that they react with one another? You know, I'm just... They have different ways to address these contradictions. One of them, and I've seen some modern Salafi scholars do that. They'll deny. They say, no, Abdullah ibn Ubay, there's no, no proof he was there. The one who killed Ammar ibn Yasir, no, no, no. I know some Sunni scholars have claimed it, but we don't accept that. It's just denial. So any proof that you bring them, well, this companion was bad. And he attended like, no, no, we don't accept that he was there. 
So this is one attempt to save their beliefs. They will deny the presence of some companions there. So this is a, re a more recent approach that I've noticed that they do. So they'll try to deny that. Excuse me, Sayyidina. Can you please uh, repeat the verse? Because I just logged in not too long ago. I thought the class was at 8 o'clock. The verse is Surah Al-Fat, verse 18. لَقَدْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ يُبَايِعُونَكَ تَحْتَ الشَّجَرَةِ Allah has been pleased with the believers when they were pledging you allegiance under the tree. This is the verse that Ahl sunnah have often cited to make the claim that all the companions are righteous and that they went to heaven because Allah was pleased with them. So we gave our refutation of that. So yes, uh, brother, to, to answer your question, one technique that they use is to just deny some of these facts. Like, no, we don't accept that any of these hypocrites were there. Or if they admit that Abdullah ibn Ubay was there, they're like, Abdullah ibn Ubay was an exception. Everybody knew he was a hypocrite. The Prophet even said that he was a hypocrite. Put him on the side, but everyone else is included. And... You know, we don't have evidence that the others were hypocrites. This is another strategy that they would use. Any other thoughts? Yes. I just have a question about like, Surah Al-Fat covers a number of uh, subjects such as the conquest of Mecca. And also the event of Hudaybiyah. So basically the dream that the Prophet had, that they will shave their heads and enter Masjid al-Haram. We've examined that before and why the Prophet told his companions, let's go for the pilgrimage. And so these verses, verses 10, verses 18, they specifically talk about the bay'ah of Hudaybiyah by the you know, unanimous opinion of all Muslim scholars, whether Sunni or Shia, verses 18 and verse 10 that we recited. This is about the bay'ah of Hudaybiyah. In verse 18, Allah is saying He is pleased with the mu'mineen who gave the bay'ah. In verse 10 that we just recited, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states those who give you allegiance, in, re in reality they're giving allegiance to Allah. Allah's hand is above their hands, which in reality is a threat. It's saying, look, you are pledging allegiance with God. Take this seriously. Then the Quran threatens them. فَمَنْ If you break the allegiance, you're going to deal with the consequences. But those who honor it, Allah will give them a great reward. This verse in itself is hinting that some of them will break the allegiance because it's threatening them. That means the pleasure that Allah has given them is not permanent. If you stick true to Islam and you continue being a mu'min, Allah will give you that rida, that pleasure. But not if you're a hypocrite, you're not a mu'min, or maybe that day some people were mu'mini. From the outside, they were good. Later, they apostated. We don't have examples of people who started off good and then they deviated. So if they deviated, Allah is still going to be pleased with them? It doesn't make sense. Any other questions about this, 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 these verses? This also means similar verse to Surah Al-Ahzab. Yes, in the, in the same way Allah addresses the wives of the Prophet. 
If they're good, Allah will double their reward. But if they're bad, Allah promises them a double punishment. Right. Ahsantum. So how do you feel about this verse? Is it clear to you what it means or you still have doubts about it? Do you feel confident in how we would address a verse like that or not not yet? So would you consider the Quran differently in that aspect and that See, first of all, they claim that all the Sahaba are Mu'mineen. That's just an assumed claim they always have. All of them were good, all of them were Adilin, all of them were just. Yeah, Abdullah bin Ubay, sure, we accept he was a hypocrite, but everyone else was good. Their belief is that all the companions are good unless it's proven that they were hypocrites, like Abdullah bin Ubay and others. So this is how they see this verse. And another way that they've done the tafsir of this verse is that, look, I don't care what they did later. Abu al-Ghadiyya killed Ammar, this, uh, Muawiyah fought Ali, whatever. Or people with Muawiyah who fought Imam Ali. He's like, I, I don't care about these things. Allah told me he's pleased with them, so it's none of my business. Who am I to criticize them or curse them when Allah has been pleased with them? Our response is, Allah said, I'm pleased with the mu'min. Mu'min, he didn't say every companion. You have to prove that this person was a mu'min. I dispute that he's a mu'min. I, I have evidence he was not a mu'min even on that day. He was a hypocrite. Because there were many hypocrites. So that's the argument over here. They, they, don't, they don't acknowledge that. They're like, no, we don't accept that. Allah has been pleased with them. He's pleased with them. That's it. Stamp. Allah has stamped them. Yes, I mentioned this has, has been narrated by Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Al-Hakim al Nisaburi. Two Sunni scholars, they've narrated that hadith. So do they reject that or do they reject the, the fact that... Um... Yeah, so, so, so they'll do two things. They will say either we deny that Abu al-Ghadiyya, the killer of Ammar, was at the bay'ah, but it's tough to do that because their scholars have said he was there. Or we'll deny that the Prophet said that hadith. Which is also difficult because Ahmad ibn Hanbal and Al-Hakim, they both narrate it. It's a dilemma. But look, they're like at the end of the day, our aqidah, we have to defend it. So I'll sacrifice one of these hadiths. So what? But we corner them and we tell them, look, this is a contradiction. This is proof that you're not understanding the verse. You're not understanding the verse. The verse is not saying Allah gave his rida and satisfaction to everyone. He gave it to the mu'mineen. Abu al-Ghadiyya was not a mu'min. X person was not a mu'min. X person was not a believer. That's our response. It's very simple. So when you said that, you think, I think what stands from is that you, they think that every single companion is a mu'min. So I think that... that yes, they have established a rule that all companions are good mu'mineen unless, unless it's been proven very clearly that that companion was a hypocrite. Because the only way they can save their faith is by this. Because if you open the door to companions not being all of them righteous, then the whole system falls apart. Because they follow those companions. They take their deen from those companions. So they have to somehow claim that they were good. So in the end, 
they have to <laughs> prioritize over here. And it's their priority to defend the Sahaba. And you tell them all those verses about the Munafiqeen, Surah Al-Munafiqeen, and yeah, there were a few, Abdullah bin Ubay, and I don't know how many. All these verses, just about a few. And then what happened to those few when, when the Prophet departed this dunya? You know the funniest thing about this theory of Adalat al-Sahaba? The funniest thing is that they'll tell you, yeah, yeah, the Quran says, you know, وَمِمَّنْ حَوْلَكُمْ Around you, there are hypocrites, مِنْ أَهْلِ الْمَدِينَةِ You know, the Surah Al-Tawbah is very clear that you're like surrounded with hypocrites, not one or two. It's like you're surrounded with them. So they'll acknowledge, okay, there were hypocrites at the time of the Prophet. But then, miraculously, the day the Prophet passes away, they all switch and become mu'mineen miraculously. It seems that the only thing that stopped them from believing was the presence of Rasulullah. Ironically. Because the minute the Prophet goes, SubhanAllah, everyone just turns good. You can't criticize anyone, everyone's good. Blah, blah. End of discussion. So where, where did those munafiqeen go? Where did they go? They were in Medina. The Quran says, Min ahlil Medina. From the people of Medina. Where did they disappear? So as long as the Prophet was there, SubhanAllah, there were munafiqeen. But the minute the Prophet leaves, they just disappear, the munafiqeen. And, and, and so the, the natural conclusion of this argument is that the only impediment and obstacle that was blocking the munafiqeen from believing is the presence of Rasulullah. Because the minute the Prophet leaves, SubhanAllah, everyone just becomes good, miraculously. So the Prophet, he was the problem. Why there were munafiqeen? He was the problem, astaghfirullah. Because the minute he leaves, everything becomes good. Everything becomes rosy. <laughs> Another meaning of that verse is that you independently don't know them. I, Allah is the one who reveals to you who they are. Uh, there's a question here. So do the Sunnis believe that the companions were infallible? No, they don't say that. They don't say that they were infallible. But they say that they were rightly guided. In the end, Allah is pleased with them. They make mistakes, Allah forgave them for those mistakes. So the companions made mistakes and all their mistakes were forgiven. They would make forgivable mistakes. So no, they have not made the claim, even though sometimes the way you see them defending their ideas, yeah, it gives you the impression that all companions are infallible. But they don't say that. They say no, because Allah is pleased with them. So as long as Allah is pleased with them, take whatever you can from them, Allah is going to be pleased with it too. <laughs> That's their logic.